It's so good to be with you guys. Rita and I have had a wonderful time. We've, uh, what we decided to do was turn this into our prayer and fasting retreat too. So we just kind of shut down as much as we could and we just, we've been a part of this. We enjoyed the fast and we really enjoyed breaking the fast last night with you guys and uh, just being here and being a part of it. You've just been so wonderful to us. And um, I love Minnesota. One of the things I love about Minnesota is Dr. Carolyn Tennant. Do y'all, do y'all know Carolyn as well as I do? She has been, she's, her and I have teamed up with uh, Joe Oden and we do these things called Schools of the Spirit. And uh, her and Joe, really, I just show up. They work it out and tell me where I'm supposed to be and make sure that my calendar will let me go. And I do some teaching on how to be a spirit-filled church and stuff. I haven't done any of that here, but anyway, I do it for those. We have a good time with that. And then she does the stuff she does on apostles and prophets, and she gets into all of that. And then she starts prophesying over people. And then Joe gets up and starts preaching and prophesying over everybody. And then the altars are full, and the power of God comes. And we've done a bunch of them. And they're just incredible. But in all of that, she talks about Minnesota like it was some holy place. And she does it everywhere we go. I mean, it's like to her, God built Minnesota and then he worked the world around it, you know. So I, she, is, uh, she loves this place and she makes fun of the snow. She does that. We just have a lot of fun with her. She represents you well. And she's been a gift into my life. And just what a blessing to work with her. Incredible lady. So I just tell you that about her and tell you about the good stuff you're doing out there through people like her. But it's an honor to be with you. This morning I want to wrap up dealing with what I call the secret place. Now we dealt with on the very first night the, the throne room. And, and it gives us kind of a picture. So when you begin to pray, you just kind of, you can use that as a picture. As you step into this presence of God, you step into the work with Jesus in prayer. And move around the world and the angels in heaven go to work and the function. It's kind of cool to see it that way. It kind of helps me when I pray. This is another kind of a picture that's going to help us. If you if you purchase the book, and, and or some, many of you already told me you read it, uh, you know that there's five altars that I think every church should have. The number one altar is the pastor's altar. And then it's all the parishioners' altar. Everybody needs a personal altar, not just the pastor. But what happens at the pastor's altar sets the pace for everything. So your private altar is the key. The second altar that we, we emphasize is the core altar. Every pastor needs a private prayer team. A core, it's my Aaron and her. It's those who hold my hands up in prayer. Because if you're in the lead, you're the devil's number one target. And because you're the target, you need more prayer and a specific kind of prayer that everyone else doesn't necessarily need for the sake of the church. Does that make sense? So don't feel bad about organizing a prayer team around you. That's biblically correct to do. And you know when Moses kept his hands up, the church won. Developing a prayer team around you is very important. The next altar is the corporate altar. Every church needs good old-fashioned prayer meetings where the place was shaken, the kind of prayer that shakes the kingdoms, that moves things, something dynamic happens. The other prayer we need is a miracle altar. The altar we need is a miracle altar. If you study the book of, of Acts, and you have, you know that the church advances at the rate of two things, prayer and miracles, prayer and miracles. It doesn't advance at the rate of preaching. Preaching is a part of the process, but many of the sermons recorded in Acts happen on a platform built by a miracle that just happened. If you remove the miraculous, you move the advancement of the church in the New Testament. We must have miracles. God never meant to have an anemic church. 
He always meant for us to be a church of power. That's why we continue to preach the baptism of the Holy Spirit and lead people into it. That's God's plan for the church. So we see that. So a miracle altar. There's some things you can do to plan on miracles, to set up a place for the miraculous to happen. And the fourth and the fifth, of course, is a salvation altar. Many of those altars we build for ourselves, but the salvation altar we build for someone else to use. And the dynamic of the salvation altar, make sure... Make sure that you build salvation altars at the end of every meeting, every opportunity. You just never know. You just never know. What we don't want is somebody to be ready to come to that altar, but we didn't give them an altar to come to. So we constantly are building this. All that's in that book, but I just, but I want to come back now to this personal, your personal altar. And I want to look at it through some uniqueness. And we're going to start with Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, where they came to Jesus and Lord said, Lord, teach us to pray. It's a dynamic request, and it's a request that I'm still making of the Lord. I'm still asking Him to teach me to pray, because I think there's more to it than I've discovered. I know there is more to it than I've yet discovered. There's intercessory prayer. There's praying forward. There's a prayer of advancement. There's praying for, for the miraculous. There's so many kinds of prayer, petitioning prayer. We get all of that. But they just simply asked Jesus the question, just teach us to pray. And He responded. He responded, but when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I want to talk to you about this secret place of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to help me in these next 20 minutes or so to just unfold this and let it minister to those that are here today as much as it's ministered to me, how it's helped me. Let it help these also as we continue our journey of building altars of prayer and being faithful to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Secret's a key word. He goes on to say, well, he says it here. He says that if you get along with God in secret, he's going to reward you. I play with that just a little bit, just a little liberty. And I say that if you get along with God in secret, he'll reward you in public. I've seen people anointed that weren't really the good preachers, but I saw good results. You may have seen that guy. Uh, he gets up and he kind of stumbles around. We, we used to talk about this old couple that always wanted to hold revivals for us in East Texas. And their, their last name was Strange. I mean, that was really their last name. Their name wasn't Strange and as it was different. It was, that was their name. Great old couple. They were, uh, they were in their 70s and we were still in our 30s. So, you know, they seemed pretty old to us. They would come to our little church and probably by that time we were running 45 or 50 or 60, they'd come. The man couldn't preach his way out of a, of a wet paper sack, as they say. His, uh, his poor wife would sit on the front row and when he'd get to rambling too much, she'd say, come on now, say something. And it, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a team effort like we had never seen before. It, uh, if he wanted to preach for me, I'd say, well, is your wife going to be there to keep you on track? I need to know, I need to know. But here's what they would do. People, all, over, all the pastors said, no, you've got to have them. You've got to have them. I said, really? They said, no, you've got you to do it one week and see what happens. So I get in. They spend, they'd get at 9 o'clock. They'd show up at the church and start praying. They'd pray till 3 in the afternoon. This old couple could pray. After a while, I'd just have to go in there and pray with them. I'd get under conviction trying to be in my office while they're praying so dynamically. 
He'd get up there and he wouldn't preach very well at all. I couldn't always keep up with it. I didn't understand what he was trying to do to that poor scripture. I, I just would watch him do what he did. And then, and then he'd say, now, and he'd start giving the altar call and the whole atmosphere would shift. And here they would come. And people, we, we got everybody filled with the Holy Spirit. And then night after night, I would watch this. And I said, the, it's, not, it's not what he's doing in public that, in his preparation for his preaching. That's not what's giving him honor. What's giving him honor is that he's been in secret with God. And now God's rewarding him in public for his time alone with God. There's something dynamic about that private time with God that shifts the things in public. And if we don't have that private time, if we don't have that secret thing, then the thing God wants to do in public is not released. It was dynamic in their lives and we saw it and it, it had an impact on me. I, I wanted to always be a little better preacher than he was, but I tell you, I'd love to have the prayer life he had and I don't, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. They were dynamic. That's why I think this secret thing begins to take on some, some dynamic to me in Psalms 131 verse 13. It said, For you were created... For you created, excuse me, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. Wow, what a powerful passage. Psalms 139. I was studying the secret place many years ago. And I remembered this passage. I felt like the Holy Spirit spurred me to go to this passage and read it. And the Lord began to say some things to me that were so personal to me that it took me a while to have the courage to say them to others because I don't, want, I don't ever want bad theology or a mis, misunderstanding of Scripture. But what He began to say to me was, when you enter into the secret place, when you go into your room and you shut the door, though it's an earthly place, though you're out of the, ear, the, the hearing of others and you're out of the sight of others, it's secret. He said, but there's, there's a spiritual dynamic there as though you were coming home to the place where you were made. For you were made in the secret place. You were formed in the secret place. So you are returning back to the place of your origin. In the natural, it's a room with a door. But in the spiritual, it's a different dynamic. That I'm moving into the place where God said, I'm going to make something today. We have to... We have to understand how God does things in secret. Here he says that even before, even in my mother's womb, and then he says in the depths of the earth. So he's like, there's a part of me that took on flesh here. But before even begin to be flesh in the womb of my mother, you had already begun to build me in another location and design me and prepare me. See, I have this, this strong belief that none of us, no person on the face of the earth, no matter what brought about their conception, if they're a product of rape or they're a product of incest or if they're a product of a healthy home and a strong marriage, it really doesn't matter. Whether it was the will of man or the mistake of a man, it really doesn't matter. That the moment that there began to be something happened that was going to procreate life, God puts His hand in and says, I have a purpose for this one from this day forward. That every person on the face of the earth is designed for His work in the church. Now, everyone won't be redeemed. 
And if they're not redeemed, then the fullness of their purpose and their design and the gifts the Father puts in them may never be used to the purpose for which they were made because they didn't experience redemption. But every person that is redeemed in the church comes in the door with a value, an assignment, and a purpose for ministry that we were made for, knit together in our mother's womb. I call those the gifts of the Father. When, when, the, when in, the, in Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, he describes the different kinds of gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Son, the gifts of the Father. He lists those as separate. Those gifts of the Father, we find those in Romans chapter 12. And when we get into Romans chapter 12, we begin to discuss the things we're born with. We're born with certain tendencies and abilities. Now we have all these tests, these personality tests. And they're pretty accurate because there's some, there's some stuff that, that we all share. Well, all of those in different forms and for different purposes are in that list in, in Romans chapter 12. That God forms some stuff in us and we're all unique and we're all made for a purpose. And what he's saying to us here is, long before you were ever born in secret, out of the view of the devil, out of the view of any other person, nobody really knows the real you except the one who formed you before you even entered your mother's womb. It's a place that's secret. It's a secret that only God has the answer to. Is this making sense to you? My uniqueness and my purposes then are revealed to me in the secret place. I can often say, why am I like this? Why am I not like my brother and sister? Why am I not like um, other people in the church? Why, why do I have this tendency? Why do I have this ability that I didn't earn? It's just there. It's just a gift I have. Why is that? I don't have that ability. I always wanted to be a great singer. Man, if you could hear me sing when nobody's listening, it's terrible. But, I, but it's not that I don't want to be. It's just it's not in there. But I hear my wife can start singing, and I just go, how do you do that? How do you do it? She said, I don't understand why you can't do it. And I said, I don't, I don't know, but how do you can do it? What, what happened? Well, she's got it, and I didn't get it. And it, I mean, that was in her when she was born, and, I, and it wasn't in me. And so, so that's why Romans goes on to say, according to the grace given you. Learn to live inside the grace given you. Boy, that's important. So that's a whole other teaching. But the idea is, where do, where, all that was done in secret. That was done out of you. I like what he says here. He says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were already written in your book. What? Before any of them came to be. What is God doing? God is saying, I have a purpose for you. And here's my plan. And we're in the little secret room. And he starts writing on the wall. This is day one. This is day two. This is day three. And he just, next thing, all the walls are covered. Until finally he said, and this is the last day of your life. It's been mapped. It's been prepared. It's been planned. Do I have a will? Yes. Can I be a participant with that? Yes. Can I be defiant and against it? Yes. But God has a plan for my life. He has a good plan for my life. And at each one of those days, he said, and what's he going to need on that day? And he begins to box it up. He said, he puts a little, puts a little note on it, sits there, that's for that day. And this is what he's going to need on this day. And this is what we would call in his prayer that we're going to get into in a minute, daily bread. And he establishes what I'm going to need for every day of my life. He's already planted. It's already covered. There's no questions. The only question I have is for me to him because it's all still in secret. And the only way I find out what he's done in secret is if I go into the secret place. Hmm. 
And when I step into the secret place, I say, God, this is that place that only you and me go to. You don't even let me bring my wife and my kids and my family. I'd like them to see this. And he said to me one day, I'm telling you, this is crazy, and I know it's crazy, but he said to me one day, oh, someday, remember that in my house there are many mansions. NIV says many rooms. There's something about that many rooms. He said, one of these days you're going to walk into this room and you're going to see it and you're going to go, I've been here many times, Lord. This has been my room all along. This is where I was formed and forged and made. This is where you and I have been meeting for years and years and years. This is my room. This is mine. Thank God I made it home. So you, you begin to sense that when I'm getting myself into that place in the morning, I'm not, just, I, I'm not just having my prayer time, but I'm entering into that place that no one else can go. I can't take anyone with me. I, there's prayer meetings we have together that are so right, but there's this time, I can't take anyone with me. I have to go alone. It's there that I've found my call. It's there that I've discovered my assignments over the years. I say, God, I'm doing this. This is great. And whatever I was, whatever assignment I've had in my life was always the best assignment in the world. And I was never going to have another one. When I was a youth pastor, I was going to be a youth pastor until I died because I determined that old people didn't matter. It was youth that mattered. And it was the youth. It would always be the youth. And old people get old and slow and stupid anyway. So I'm just going to stick with the youth all my life. I'm going to always be a youth pastor. I was committed to youth ministry. And then something, God began to speak to me about being a senior pastor. And I said, God, I don't even think I believe in senior pastors. And now you're calling me to be one. And, and th that transition began to take. And then we became pastors and God blessed it and we fell in love with being in that ministry and, and we just loved pastoring and then, and then people started prophesying everywhere Rita and I would go somebody would prophesy and say to us uh, God is calling you to district leadership and we'd say you know you need to learn to listen better to God that is not the voice of God and then we'd go somewhere else and they'd prophesy it again and, and after a while it wasn't even funny anymore I said I don't even, I'm not even ever going to a place where people pray because they're all going to get up and tell me stuff I don't want to hear. And then finally I was in my secret place and the Lord said, By the way, those people, those words are from me. And I'm calling you to this. And when the door opens, you have to go through it. I got, those, I got that assignment. And then I was in the district and I was going to always be in the district. Because nobody believes in, in national ministry. And so uh, it's just no use in it. I don't see them. I mean, what do they know? They're so far away from the harvest. They don't have a clue what's going on. Uh, nobody gets saved at the national office. They only backslide there. I mean, let's just be honest. I, that's the last place I want to go. Not help me, Jesus. Those people, God help them. I don't know what they're doing, but at least in the district, at least in the district, we get to be closer to the harvest. And that's how. And then God said one day, so one day, very clearly, right in front of everybody, no, this is where you're going. And I didn't want to go, but I, but I went. I got alone that morning in my secret place. I said, God, what's on the wall today? He said, Yeah, today's the day. You got to go where I'm leading you. It's been written on the wall the whole time. Man, God. Can we erase it? <laughs> no. No, it's right. I've thought it. I've thought it out. Because see, what's on your wall is in sync with what's on a whole lot of other walls. You just got to trust me with your wall. In a secret place. God, what am I, I'm going to need all this stuff. I know, I know. I've already boxed it up for you. Your purpose. It's where you discover your gifts. As a kid, I, I, as a young man, I didn't know what giftings I had. I didn't even know what giftings were. I didn't understand that there were some things I could do that others couldn't do. We went to that little church in Hallsville and, 
17 people and in a couple of years it was running about 130, 140 and I don't even know what I'd done. I, I didn't do anything. I really didn't. I just didn't. So, they, so some of the pastors wanted to take me to lunch of these other smaller churches. And, and, uh, and so we had a great lunch time. We laughed a lot and just had fun. And then one of them finally said, well, we want to know what you're doing. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, we're, we've been running 40 for 40 years. We've been running 30 for 30 years. Yeah, they were telling me stories. We want to break. We want to be successful. You come in here in two years and the church goes from 17 to 130. We want to know what you're doing. I said, I don't know. He said, come on, don't hold out on us. I said, I wouldn't hold out on anybody. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I'm just showing up and doing what I'm doing. And, 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 and that started, it woke me up. I went back and said, God, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. If something's right, I need to know what it is. And the Lord began to teach me on the gifts that different ones have and how to flow in the gift God has given you. And he said, without knowing it, your dad has helped you to know how to be who you are. You don't even know how blessed you are that you had that dad. They didn't have the same dad you had. And they've not learned to flow. So they became my friends. And I began to say, let's figure out who you are and what makes you good. Don't try to be me and don't try to be somebody else. Be the best you God made you to be. And let's let the results be what God means for those results to be. And we shifted that. And, began to, and they began to see God. And they're my buddies. And so that, that was important in that process that I began to learn who I was. God would say, I made you this way for this reason. I made you. All of that happens in secret. It doesn't happen during a Sunday morning service. It doesn't happen in front of others. It doesn't. God will use the classroom experience, the study experience, Sunday morning services, to do some things. But the real dynamic of who we are is revealed to us in secret. And you have to go to the secret place to understand why you were made like you're made. Wow. Here's the other piece. When, he, when you were born, you weren't finished yet. Nor was I. Have you ever, you ever been to, the, to Home Depot to buy keys and they, had to, they ask you what brand of lock are you buying for? Because there's a key that's slotted to fit in a quick set lock that won't fit in a master lock. There's different brands and they, they'll fit in. And so what God said to me, well, I, was, I was actually buying keys. And the Lord said, that's where you are. You will fit into some places that other people won't fit into. But that doesn't mean you can unlock the door yet. Now I've got to grind you and shape you and form you to unlock the door you can fit into. And so he, I was born with some abilities. There's some things I could step into and do so easily, just so naturally. But, but I couldn't really make a difference there. I could just be there. And then God begins to grind this away and grind that away, shape me this and that. And suddenly I'm not just there anymore. Now I can turn and begin to make a difference because, because I'm not completed at birth, but everything I need to be what I'm going to be is there at birth. But it still has to go through the fire it still has to go through some difficulties it still has to be shaped and molded and made is this making sense to you and and that's where we are as we come in that's where the things that happen in private are so important I think that one of the greatest things I've learned about my private time my secret place with God is the importance of discipline I don't get it right very often occasionally I get it right and then in secret the Lord will tell me how proud he is and how pleased he is with something he's been able to do but sometimes I don't get it right. 
And the Lord says, we need to talk about what happened yesterday. I go, yeah, I thought you'd bring that up. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't too proud of it either, God. I just, I, I'm, man, I don't know. So then he'll, he'll help me and he'll discipline me. Sometimes he scolds me. Sometimes, sometimes but, he, but he, he's a good father. And a good father would much rather discipline his child in secret. He doesn't discipline his child in public. Because he doesn't, he doesn't want to... He doesn't want to make you look bad in front of others. He, doesn't, he, he likes you looking good. You're his son. You're his daughter. He's proud of you. So he wants to treat you in public. But he has to treat you. But in private, there's some things he'll say to you that he won't say in front of everybody. The only issue comes when we won't show up in private and it gets so bad he finally has to confront us in front of others. Hmm. As district superintendent all those years and all those almost 2,000 ministers, we always... Every once in a while, anyway, we'd have one kind of get off the rails. And we'd have to bring them in and deal with them in sometimes very difficult situations. Anyway, when we'd sit with them, I, after we'd do what we had to do, I, I would always ask them a few questions. And one of those questions was, how heavy was the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life while you were doing this? How much did you feel like a sinner and guilty? I mean, what were you having to fight through to continue to do what you knew better? One of the things they would all say to me, I heard it so many times, was, as a matter of fact, it got so bad, I couldn't even be with God. I wouldn't even try to pray. I didn't even want to be alone with God because I knew it was going to be his only subject. So I just quit praying altogether. And I started filling my life with other stuff and other voices and other things because the voice of God was just constantly there. But there's that point where God said, I can't get them to operate. I can't get them to repent. I can't get them to turn. And so I'm going to have to take this public. And now all that had been hidden under the covers is exposed. And now here they are. And now I'm dealing with it. I said, just think if six months ago, just six months ago, if you had to confess this sin and made it right with God, I would have never known it and I would not be dealing with you today. Because God would rather deal with his children in the secret place than in the public place. I say that partly to say if you've got something in your life that's not right, get into the secret place and get it right with God. Let God deal with you out of the view of the rest of us. We'd rather not see it. We'd rather God and you get it right and work it out and go on without it having to be exposed. But I promise you, He loves you too much to let you stay in sin. He will expose it. He's a good Father. The secret place is so important to us. Because in the secret place, I get little daily adjustments. God will say, let's don't do that anymore. Come on, let's do this. I love you very much. And how about this? And then it's just a little along the way. And we never really know. It's like the plane trying to fly a long distance. He makes little adjustments as the crosswinds come. And he's right in where he's supposed to be. And lands at the right airport. But if it's not adjusted occasionally along the way. They'll look up. And then they're way off course. And they have to make a big adjustment. And circle way back around. And sometimes they miss the airport altogether. See there are things written on our wall in the secret place. And we begin to get offline from that. God will say no, no, no. You're not the... I need you to adjust. I need you to adjust. He never forces us to walk that line, but he's developed that line and he nudges us along and encourages us. Come on. Uh, there was a time when God spoke to me so clearly as a young man before I'd agreed to go into the ministry, before I was committed to the Lord and his ways, where God spoke to me one night so clearly and he said, if you stay on this path, you're going to end up missing my plan for your life and heaven itself. It so shook me up that that night, that night I made a commitment and have not looked back since. These secret moments and secret places in our life become very important. But you have 
to go in yourself and you have to shut the door. He's not going to force you there and shut the door behind you and lock it and get you, not let you out until he gets you right. Wouldn't that be kind of fun? And, uh, but that, <laughs> come on, God, do that to us. So we would, that'd be probably what we deserve and be better for us. In the secret place, it's a place of learning. I always take my Bible in the secret place. And the Holy Spirit that wrote the book is also the teacher of the book. I can learn more from him teaching me than I can from any classroom I've ever sat in. If I'll just listen, I'll say, Holy Spirit, what does this scripture mean? And what does it mean to me today? What does it mean to me today? Isn't the, isn't the Word of God alive? Isn't it living? Can't you read it one year and it says one thing? Next year you read it and it says something else? I mean, the basic theology doesn't shift. But what it's saying to you is unique in that day, in that moment. It's, just, it's daily bread. It is daily. It's, it's life to me. And it does something. He says, this is what you need it to, hit, to say. To, and he speaks to me. Teach me, teach me, teach me. Teach me your word. Teach me your word. Sometimes people say, where do you get the stuff you come up with? I don't know, except that I just sit in his presence and say, teach me. And I read the scripture and I journal. I'm a journal guy. I love to write down what he's saying. And until you write it, you really haven't heard it. That's what I've decided. Until you write it, you really haven't heard it. Something happens and type it, type it. Put it in your computer. That's better because later on when you're 10 years looking back on your journals, I did this. 10 years, I had all these journals. And I look back 10 years later and I can't read my writing. So I don't know what I said. So I said, that's terrible. So that's when I started doing it all on computer. And uh, that way, too, it's easier to file and keep up with. And, you know, you, you're better organized. But, but, but it's something about that actual journaling in that secret place along with God. It's a part of the process. Finally, well, two more points. Finally, the secret place is where God cleanses me. They tell me that, that the ceremonially clean vessel has a, has a very unique dynamic to it that for certain vessels at certain times of year for certain festivals to be ceremonially clean they're not just taken in the kitchen and washed out with soap and water they actually have to take the ceremonial vessel back to the potter that made it and the potter has to work the vessel to look for cracks and just stuff from use and he has to repair the things that have been damaged by previous use. And then, then he reaches inside the vessel and he sands it like with sandpaper to take out all the stains of every previous use. And he sets it to be like new. It's not new, but he sets it to be like new. And now it's ready for the ceremonial use that God has for it. So it's ceremonially prepared or repaired. Combination of both. And, then, and now it's ready to be used at a new level. The Lord said to me when I was reading that, and I went, oh man, that's cool, God. He said, well, that's part of what happens when you come to me. Sometimes, sometimes the sin we spoke of earlier, you bring it in with some sin on it. I want to clean it here. You bring it in cracked because it went through some difficult times. It got dropped. You ever been dropped? Yeah. Some things went wrong. He said, I want to, I want to bring, I'm the potter. And you're bringing it back to me in the secret place. And the thing I formed and forged and the purposes I have for you. But along the way, some things happen. You bring it back to me. I begin to fill in those old gaps that have been hurt. I begin to heal those wounds that have been created. I begin to sand out all that old previous stuff. And I get you ready for what we're going to do next. I bring to an end and a completion. And it's a preparation for what's in the near future. And God does all that in the secret place. Success leaves a mark just like, just like failure does. Both success and failure leave a mark on our life. Success leaves a mark that often leads to disqualifying pride. The worst thing about success is pride. 
In some ways, I think success is more dangerous than failure. Because we usually fall from a high place. You know the story. Pride comes before fall. And so it's that reality. And so, so sometimes when I've been really successful, I come in and God's given me a great victory that way beyond my ability, but he did something great. And, 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 and probably in the real world, nobody would notice it. But in my little world, in my little view, it's a big deal. And I'm pretty proud of it. And I come into the Lord and say, boy, that went great. And that sermon, man, and that and those people. And wow, man, man, I think I finally got there. And God said, yeah, you, you just fell from there. As soon as you said that, that was over. And then God begins to deal with me. And he begins to show me and sometimes he will actually give me two or three days of really difficult to just show my weaknesses and my failure and then I'm back God I am just not anything I'm just useless I don't know how you could use me I feel like Samson with my hair cut off I don't have anything to offer the spirit of the Lord has left me I know what David meant when he said oh God don't take your spirit from me God if I don't have your spirit I don't have anything I'm nothing and God said well I knew that all along but you forgot it for a minute so I brought you back to that reality so I can use you again it's that cleansing it's in secret he does it in secret failure can lead to discouragement we've all fallen haven't we we've all missed it we've all had that Sunday we went home and said I didn't do well at all today God your people weren't advantaged a bit by what I had to say and do I'll admit, Lord, I didn't spend enough time in prayer this week. I didn't prepare well. I got all this. That is all my fault. I'm just terrible. If I were you, I would fire me today. I would send me off to a regular job and never let me preach to your church again. And God said, yeah, that's what I should probably do, but that's not what I'm going to do because I just looked up on your wall and you have an assignment that requires you stay right where you are. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to heal you from that old wound and that old failure. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to keep using you. I come out of the secret place so different than I go into it. I go into it with pride and I come out with humility. I go into it beat up and ready to quit and I come out with confidence. It's amazing what happens behind closed doors when God and I get along. Is this making sense to you? Hmm. The last thing is, is the storehouse. So Jesus in His teaching taught us to ask for daily bread. He doesn't, ask, he doesn't allow us to ask for annual bread. Often we're trying to pray down a whole budget for the year and pray down all the blessing of God. But if that were to happen to us, if it would have happened to the children of Israel, do you know how much manna they would have had to carry for 40 years of manna eating? They'd have had to have Mount Manna. And they'd had to go to Mount Manna and load up their cargo and carry it everywhere they went. Manna would have become a problem. for They'd have begun to say, we hate this manna. Everywhere we go, we have to carry it with us and take care of it. And they would have begun to despise it. God said, I've got a better plan. I'm going to give you enough every day that you got what you need for that day. And tomorrow, I'll always be there to do it again. And he's teaching us the importance of daily bread through how he treated the children of Israel. That God's going to give you what you need for today. There have been times in our ministry where Reed and I did not have enough for the week. Um, we have a great story here that uh, pretty quick. I'm, I'm good on time, so I'll take the time to share it. It was, uh, I had been at the little church in Hallsville for only, only about a, uh, maybe a year. We'd been able to clean up the properties and pour a little parking lot and build on a little building in the back for worship, and I mean for fellowship. And we'd done some of those things. But uh, we'd done everything by faith, man. I mean, barely making it. And we never had money in the bank, but they'd have enough to pay me. And we lived in that little house. 
And then, uh, for whatever reason, everybody decided not to give anymore, and, and the offerings went away. And uh, so I'd picked up some work building decks and fences and some stuff that I'd done in my earlier days and just doing what I could. And then nobody needed a deck or a fence or any other work done. I mean, it just, we just, the money just ran out. We just didn't have any money. And um, so I was getting ready to go to the office that morning. Rita was fixing a little breakfast for Renee and her and myself. And, and then she said to me, this is all the food we have. This, you just, we just finished. That's it. There's no more. I said, Really? She said, yeah, that's it. Do we have any money? I said, no. No, we don't have money. Does church have any money? No, church doesn't have any money. What are we going to do? I don't know. So I uh, got in the car and drove to the church, which is like six blocks, not very far. I drove over there and got out and went inside and, and I started praying. And I said, God, first of all, we didn't want to come here. You sent us here. This is not our idea. It was your idea. And if it's going to be your idea, I think you're supposed to take care of us. And uh, I think I've done what I'm supposed to. I mean, when I got here, they didn't have a parking lot. Now they got a parking lot. When I got here, they didn't have, you know, I'm bragging on my ministry a little bit, telling God what a wonderful man of God I am. And I said, if I were working, if I were you and you were me, I'd pay me better. I'm telling you. If you were doing that, I'd pay you better if you were doing But I can't even feed my family. This is what we get for all we've done. Have you ever had those moments where you cried and complained to God? Don't raise your hand. I don't blame you, but, but I let God, I, I told God how I felt about him that day, and it wasn't very, uh, it wasn't very nice. And after a while of praying that way, then I got through all that and got that junk out of my system, and then I said to the Lord, all right, I don't know, I don't, I don't understand, but this I know, I can't help it. I still trust you. I don't understand, but I still trust you. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's my plan. Tonight, it was Wednesday. I said, I'm going to preach to whoever comes tonight. I'm going to do my best, and we're going to minister and love on them, and then we're going to get in the car and drive to Dallas. I've got enough gas to get to Dallas. It's already in the tank. And I'm going to my parents' house, and I'm going to feed my family out of my dad's refrigerator. And my dad has money and, and food. And so, I'm, you know, common sense. I'm going to go eat at my dad's house. That's what we'll do. That's my plan. And then in the meantime, you'll tell me what to do. But I'm not going to let my baby daughter not have food. So, ball's in your court. That's what I said. So, sure enough, that night I preached. And Rita, by the way, found something to feed Renee, some dinner. And uh, so I preached that night and uh, preached pretty good. I discovered that if you pray all day, you preach better at night. I, that's what I discovered. And I preached pretty good. We had a good move of God. There was a really, it was a wonderful time. Uh, the altars were good. We probably had over 50 people in the auditorium. And that was a big deal on a Wednesday night for us. And then Rita had all the kids in the back and it went great. And so she comes walking out of the back, <coughs> excuse me, crying. And I saw her crying, and I thought, if somebody has offended my wife, this is not the day to offend my wife. <laughs> I mean, my Christian's running a little low anyway right now, and there would be a fight in the parking lot. I mean, this could not go well, and I'm probably fixing to resign this stupid church anyway. So, I mean, I mean, all this was kind of what was in me. I'm just being honest with where I really was in the moment. And Rita saw the fire in my eye, and she grabbed my hands and said, no, 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 I'm not crying because it's bad. I'm crying because it's good. And I said, what's good? She said, our car, now you got to remember, this was in 1988, and we drove, no, this was, yeah, 1989, but we drove an 88, or Delta 88 Oldsmobile. Do you all remember those? You older people know, they're tanks, they're huge, 
you can you can sleep a family of six in one of those. I'm telling you, it's a, and, and so that's where we were. And uh, she said, "There's so much food in the car, I can't get in it." There were groceries in the back seat, in the back floorboard, in the back window. Remember those windows where the kids used to sleep before we had to wear sleep seat belts? There was food up there. There were food in the front seat, food in the front floorboard, food up on the front dash. We couldn't even get in the car. And I said, what? She said, I'm telling you, you cannot get in our car. There is so much food in there. I said, who did you tell? She said, I didn't tell anybody. Who did you tell? I said, I've only talked to Jesus. And we just stood there and wept for a while. We ate off that food for the next month. They gave us so much food. And by the end of the month, the offerings were back and the income was coming and everything. And we never had to go through that again. But God was saying to me, hey, I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. And I received that through praying for my daily bread. What does that mean to us as we wrap this up? Let's go back to the manna for just a little bit. How did manna form? Well, according to the scripture, he said that manna formed like dew. That's the best, that's the best we have, is dew. Well, how does dew form? Well, dew means there's some humidity in the air, moisture in the air, and there's a certain temperature that when the temperature's right, the moisture in the air becomes heavier than the air, and it falls to the ground, and now the moisture's on the ground. There it is. Dew's this, so the manna was the same way. It was God saying the provision of the kingdom of heaven is already all around you. The provision of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's already here. All we have to do is change the spiritual temperature and that which is still in the supernatural will become natural. And God was saying to me that I've already set aside everything you need for every day of your life. But the way it moves from the supernatural to the natural is by prayer. So Jesus said, pray that daily you would receive your daily bread. And that daily bread is not just the food on your table. It's the wisdom you need for the day. It's the encouragement you need for the day. I love the bread that Jesus gave to his disciples. And he said, here, take this and then pass it out. And when they received the bread, they break it and gave it to others. The bread I receive from the Lord in the morning, I pass out all day long to people. I'll say, this is what God said to me today. This is what God told me this morning. I spend all day giving it out. And I get to the end and I've got a basket full left over. And in the morning, I get some more fresh bread and I spend the day. I used to tell my staff, I said, every day you have to have a word from God and you have to be able to tell me what it is when I walk into your office. You don't know when I'm coming, but like Jesus, in an hour in which you think not, I'm going to show up in your office and I'm going to ask you, what did God say to you today? And my staff, they would do, they got, they got it, they got it down. They learned to do it. At first it was discipline, then it became a delight. And then they would come to my office, Pastor, you better tell us what God said to you this morning. And I would tell them, this is what God said to me this morning. They go, that's pretty good, but mine's better. This is what God said to me this morning. And we begin to develop that because we all discovered that if I I pick up some bread in the morning I've got something to give others all day long and I just keep giving it out and it just keeps multiplying but I have to have my daily bread some of it's the word of God some of it's wisdom some of it's stamina some of it's emotional strength some of it's physical sometimes it's a check in the mail sometimes it's a it's a miracle but it comes from my secret place it's already been set aside in my secret room but to get it from my room there to my room here requires that I go inside and close the door behind me. So Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What a good God we serve. 
His name is, we sang that song the other day, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rophe, Jehovah Shalom. He's all of that. Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Rose of Sharon, Most High. Just, just remember who He is for a bit. And then ask Him to bring His kingdom. What does that mean? It means, Lord, don't limit this to what I can do in my power, but by what you can do in your power, in your kingdom. All the angels, the word of the Lord being declared, the work of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in a powerful and authoritative way. Your kingdom come to bear on all that we're dealing with. And your will be done. That's a submission. That's back to the wall. What you've written out for me today, let that be what this day accomplishes. Your will be done. And Lord, I'm going to need my daily bread. If I'm going to fulfill your will, I need my wisdom and my help and my other stuff. And forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me with the water of your word this morning as I read. Cleanse me by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Bring things to the surface that I've hidden even from myself. Let's get this right. And Lord, if uh, I've held something against someone else, bring it to my memory right now. I forgive everyone. I want to be right vertically and horizontally. Now, Lord, lead me not into temptation because I'm still pretty temptable. But if you'll lead me right, in a path of righteousness for your namesake. I won't go into those places, oh God. I'll go into the right places that'll give you glory and give you honor according to the path on the wall, not the distractions the devil will bring to try to pull me off of that path and away from the plan of my life. But I pray this in the name of Jesus. I pray, oh God, you give me a great day. I do one more thing in my morning prayer time. When I'm praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, I always say, Lord, I give you my life as the sacrifice that the writer of Romans says uh, I should do a living sacrifice. Problem with a living sacrifice, somebody says, that it has to be offered again and again and again. According to the Old Testament law, every morning, every morning they'd bring a new sacrifice. In the same way, every morning we bring our lives back to God. But what happens with those sacrifices is cool. Because when those sacrifices would be brought, three things would happen. One is, after it had been offered up, part of it would be removed because it wasn't worthy of being on the altar of God. And that offfall would be taken outside the camp and it would be burnt not with the holy fire on the altar, but with human fire outside the camp. There's some stuff in me that shouldn't be on the altar at all, but needs to be removed. When I present myself a living sacrifice, I'm saying, God, help me get rid of the part of me that shouldn't be offered. Number two, part of that sacrifice would be used to feed the priesthood. To feed those who brought the offering. To be a part of the meal. It became a meal. And what am I saying? Lord, I want to be a meal for the church. I want them to partake of me and be healthy because of what I brought to the table. 
means I've got to let people take advantage of me sometimes. If I'm really sacrificed, then when people take advantage of me, but it's good for the church, I've already dealt with that this morning. I've already made the offer. It's I'm already there. I'm already theirs. I've already said whatever's best for the kingdom. I present myself a living sacrifice. And that third part is the part to be consumed by the fire and ascend, to be transformed from natural to supernatural and ascend into the heaven. That's that attitude with which I do it. That's that pleasing aroma that I give to God both in my time in worship and both in my lifestyle as I leave that altar. And all day I'm being sacrificed. All day things are happening. It's just a day. It's, and it all begins in the secret place. And I fight it. Some days I'm good at it. And some days I'm not. But there's just something about keeping that mornings. For the last 30 years, I've missed very few mornings. I have missed them. Last week I was sick. I didn't feel well at all. You've heard the end of my cough a little bit. And I had one day where I just stayed in bed. God said I could. I asked him. He said, shut up and go to sleep. And I said, okay. So it was all right. And, uh, and even Elijah had a time where he slept for three days. You know, that, I, So I'm not asking you to be superhuman. But I'm asking you to develop your daily moment with God every morning. Many of you, you're there. You're ahead of me. But something happens in that secret place that allows God to bless us in the public place. Jesus' secret place allowed the Father to say, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And He wants to do the same for you. Secret place. Here's how, if you're comfortable, I know it's 10 o'clock, you need to go home. But would it be alright if we all just found a secret place for a few moments? Just go in and shut that invisible door behind you and get alone with God and just take a moment and just walk through the Lord's Prayer remember you're in your own room now your life has been written on the wall and today's provision are already boxed up for the day and don't come out until you've turned that manna that's spiritual into something that's going to fall at your feet as you go throughout the day like the manna did on the feet of the children of Israel